that on tape. All right, Coach Duke, you're on the spot. What's a Gordy Howe hat trick? Okay, well, all I know is a hat trick is three goals in a game. Okay. okay I bought so. a Gordy Howe. A Gordy Howe. Um, I'm totally guessing. I'm totally guessing. Okay. Uh, Coach Solano says it all right there. I'm going to say uh, one front hand, one back end, and, and one <laughs> – yeah. One uh, at the end of the game penalty. It, it might have been this and yeah. that. Yeah, that's oh, it. I was okay. thinking the same way. Gordy Alatric, it's a goal and assist and a fight. JR, that was going to, you know, Ellie threw that's that. Perfect. There's two ways, to, three ways to run a football. Yeah. That yeah. was mine to him later. And we were yeah. going to stumble. That's perfect. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that one. I'm gonna write that yep. down. That's, that's you don't perfect. you don't see too many of those anymore. There's no uh, no fighting anymore in the game. Not much. Not much. Not much. Not All much. Right. No. All right. Well, see, I'm I'm trying. I got some. You're learning. Right You're learning. Welcome back. I'm Coach Duke. He's J.R. Simmons. And as promised, Coach Frank Delano, all the way from the East Coast as a special <laughs> guest co-host tonight. We have an amazing guest, one that we don't deserve. And I'm going to intro this thing, coaches, by saying this. I said months ago that there was going to be some amazing things come out of COVID. We were going to learn new ways to do things. There were going to be jobs created that we didn't even know existed. And this podcast is one of them. Okay. Friendships, relationships, transcend anything that's going on. And at the end of the day, it's about relationships and that's what matters. A couple of months ago, I emailed Coach Solano out of the blue and say, hey man, can we talk? We exchanged some emails. He eventually sits down with us one day. We trade some X's and O's, some scheme. And it turns into something that I, for one, am grateful for. And I know JR is too. It turns into a friendship, a relationship, a common goal, a community. And to be honest with you, that's what it takes to get through some of this stuff with COVID. It takes a community. And as promised, I keep my word. I said, if you get us this, this dude you're telling us about, <laughs> money to your charity, money to his, and we're going to talk about that. But I, I'm not even qualified to introduce our guest tonight. I, I really am not because this is so above my head. I have a freaking medical degree and this is above my head right now. I don't even know what's going on here, but I've never seen JR more happy. Okay. <laughs> I've never seen more smiles and laughs out of him. Coach Solano has been stoked from the beginning. So I think, JR, the best person to introduce our guest tonight is Frank Delano. Absolutely. 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 Coach Delano, the podcast is is yours. (laughs) It it is an absolute pleasure. And first and foremost, thank you again for having having me be a part of this. And I'm a small part of this. And obviously the the guest of honor here is someone who I have the distinct pleasure and I hope he will will agree to that to call each other friends and uh, we met at the end of the end of the 2010 season and it kind of ended in heartbreak for us Philly fans and us Flyers but he was he brought his sons to our youth football camp 
and he sat by the tent, most unassuming human being on the planet. And just I walked up to him. I don't even know if he remembers the conversation. I simply said, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for a lifetime of memories in that run. And there are some things that I'm sure we'll possibly get into. Uh, you watch him play and you watch the way he gives and talk about selfless and all this breakdown sports about process and preparation and performance. Everything that you guys stand for with this podcast is wrapped up into Ian LaPerriere. And you watch the way he played and the selflessness and the, more importantly, the human being that he is. Gosh, man, I, I'm honored. I am blessed to call him a friend. And I am so fired up that we have been able to get him here for you tonight. I know JR is a huge blues fan. We know that's where he started <laughs> his career. And uh, we're going to have some fun. But again, I he, he talked to our our team a couple of years ago. And, you, you know, I know we were talking a little bit off air before this started about goosebumps. Well, if you watch the video that we showed and you listen to him talk, the passion that's in his voice, there, you know, hair still standing up on your neck. But it's an honor to have coach with us tonight. And I know I appreciate his time when he's in the middle of getting ready to get his team back together and uh, in the middle of this Stanley Cup run that we hope we hope here in Philly, you Mizzou guys might not think so, but <laughs> we're hoping desperately here in Philadelphia that that's where this thing can lead. But Ian, thank you so much, coach for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I, you can't call me a friend because I, I tell everybody in town that you're my friend. And you know what, Coach? I respect you so much with the program you run in town and the kids that you, you help, the parents. You know, you, you help those kids becoming men. And, uh, you know, I met kids that played for you years ago and the meeting kids that are playing for you today. And uh, you're doing a hell of a job. And uh, I'm very happy to call you my friend. Thank you. So, Ian, I'm going to start here. I am absolutely shocked we have you on this podcast because <laughs> this started four months ago with an assistant principal that I worked with. Okay. And we have come to now a NHL coach, a former Blue, and I'm going to start it off here with the first question I thought of when Frank said he's coming on the podcast and I got up off the floor and <laughs> a thousand NHL games, over a thousand NHL games in your career. How in the world did you manage to do that? Uh, I just went with passion. You know what? Like, that's the way I was brought up. I wanted to play hockey all my life. And uh, I just did whatever it took. Like, you know, I came, uh, played junior as I was a goal scorer. I was a playmaker. And I came to the NHL and I realized that I couldn't do that at this level. I did it a little bit, but I'm like to do it, you know, every day, every game in, game out. I I kind of realized at a young age that I couldn't do that. And I just uh, decided to play a different role, more physical. I fought when I had to fight. And I think that's the biggest mistakes and the biggest mistake for in my sport, like uh, guys that want to play the way they play all their life, they, they're not willing to to change. And for me, that's why I go. I look back in my career. That's why I play for so long because I was willing to do something that the guy next to me wasn't willing to do. And before I started coaching, I was doing player development for the Flyers, and that was, you know, when I talked to those young guys and the advice that I always told them, I'm like, listen, you have to be willing to do something that the guy next next to you is not willing to do if you want to play in this league and stay in this league. And uh, and to look back, that's pretty much what I did, and that's why I play that long. Coach, it's uh, 
this is cool. They even give me a chance to ask a couple questions here. <laughs> so this is, this is pretty neat. But coach, when, when, when you talk about teammates, right? And I know yeah. there's bad teammates. They're good teammates. They're mm-hmm. teammates that you can't live without and every, and every team needs. Uh, I guarantee anybody who has had the pleasure to play with you would know that you're an all-time great teammate. And I think you exemplified that by the way you played. I, You know, obviously, you can't go any deeper than looking at it. But in 2009, when against the Sabres, you took that a shot, you know, in the, in the, the puck in the face. And then a couple months later in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're willing to do the same exact thing, you know, against the Devils in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, with that being said, and, and knowing that's the way you played, who is someone, right, that you think makes the Lappy all-teammate team? Teammate team? Because obviously you are the you're the gold standard of it. There's no events or buts about it, right? Not just because we're biased because we're friends, but just watch it. Just watch what you did. Who's on your all lappy team for just that number one teammate? It can be coaching people you played with, somebody you admired. Um, well, somebody I admire all my life actually, and I had a chance to play with with him with the Blues. It's a uh, Guy Carboneau. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Guy Carboneau wasn't a physical player like I was, but he was like. He, he pretty much like in junior was a goal scorer and he, he, you know, he put points up. He had over 200 points and, and that's the guy he turned pro and they, they changed him and he was willing to make that change that I just talked about. He was, he knew that that would extend his career and he played over 20 years in the league and um, growing up, he's older than me. I look up to him and I remember like uh, when I got named captain of my junior team, my dad and Carbo was uh, the, ca- uh, the captain of the uh, Montreal Canadian. And my dad, he, I remember That's he cut an article in that. the paper. Carbo talked about yeah. what, it, what, it, what it is to be a captain of your team. You have to represent your team, your, the logo in front of you, on and off the ice. You got to lead by example, on and off the ice. And it was in an article. And I got up one morning and my dad put that on my, on my, at the end of my bed there for me to read. And um, oh, yes. I did. And that's who you're asking me, the, the, the guy I look up to that is on uh, all teammate kind of guy. That's, you know, he just got into the Hall of Fame last year, uh, this past year. And that's really the guy I look up to. And, but I had so many great teammates in my career. Like, you know, I, if I name one, I can name like a, a hundred. And, you know, they, they, might have, they might not play like the way I played, but it's one another quality of mine. It's like I took a little bit of everybody. Like, you know, one guy would do that, like Joe Sackick. We had nothing in common, zero in common in the game. He didn't play the way I played. I didn't play the way he played. But a little example, he, he, he was big on stretching and working out. Well, I picked that out of it. When I, during later in my career, I noticed that, you know, he was in his 30s when I played with him. He did extra. He did some, uh, some stretching exercise. And I kind of took a little bit out of him. And that's what I did. I just... And that's why, like, I got so many teammates like that that, uh, that they would make that team for sure. Awesome. Guy Carbonoff, am I? I'm not mistaken, right? That was he was with I think with the Canadians when your your formal former boss got right. My next all, you know, made that ran at him and a melee breaks out at the Spectrum in the he, playoff, right? He, he ran at Ch- uh, Chris Chelios. 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 Yeah, yeah. Same team, though. They were on the same team, but he, he went after Chelios in the right corner there because uh, uh, Chelios hit uh, Brian Prop a couple games before he had a concussion and everything. And 
And actually was uh, the ultimate team guy. I never played with him, but everything I hear about him, he was the ultimate team guy. And as a goalie, you don't see that too often, but yeah. he went after each other. Full disclosure, I would be. I made every one of Ron Hextall's masks. He was my guy growing up. I know. Like I'd have someone cut it. I had the arrow painted on a mask. It was the old, remember the old Milek mask? Okay? And then you would cut them out and put a cage on it. Oh, it, was, it was great. I butchered every one of his, his, his we called him mages at the time, but uh, it was awesome. He was my guy. He was my guy growing up. That's incredible. That's awesome. So, Coach, I'm going to tell you one story. It's about, it's the only hockey story I got. Okay. All right. I'm, ask you I'm a ready. Question. So <laughs> I'm dating a girl in high school. We're not going to name her. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, I'm dating a girl in high school. She's big into hockey. Her family's big into hockey. We go to one hockey game. I sit on the top level behind the pole. I don't know what the hell is going on. The puck is moving. I'm trying to keep up. I don't even know, but I paid a bunch of money because, you know, they didn't pay for me to go. I paid a bunch of money to go there and i'm like what is going on here so i i never really found that love for hockey that you're talking about but i did develop an appreciation for yo dude that hockey puck is hard as heck and people are getting punched in the face all the time so this is like this is the real deal so i a thousand games in the nhl are you kidding me that's that's incredible so I want to I want to go back to that first day. I want to go back to it's 1992 and you get drafted by the St. Louis Blues, mm -hmm. and what that feels like, what that means to you, and what was what was going through your head? Were you like, "Holy cow, I made it," or was it now it's time to start working even harder? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, the draft was in Montreal. And if oh, people didn't oh, figure wow. out, I'm French, I'm, I'm French wow. Canadian. If you guys didn't pick on my accent yet, but uh, I thought it was I, South it was Jersey. A, I thought it was like yeah, South yeah, Jersey. That's, that's why I tell people I'm from Bayonne. It's North Jersey. <laughs> I'm from Bayonne. And uh, no, but I get it was in Montreal, which I, where I'm from. And um, there's a list, just like football. There's a list of uh, who's going to get drafted the next year and everything. And there's like a 12 round at the time, I think. And I was listed in the top four rounds. And, that, you know, I was like, I didn't have a great season, but I'm like, okay, I'll get drafted in the top four rounds. Four rounds. And, um, and, and meanwhile, the, the European countries open up, like Russia, Czech Republic, and all that. They all start drafting those guys. They weren't part of that list. And uh, by, by that mix of bold event there, I, I got drafted in the seventh round, three rounds later. And I'm in Montreal. All my family's there, grandpa, grandma, everybody's there. And my agent comes to me after the fifth round, which I was supposed to go in the fourth round. He goes to me, goes like, you can go home and we'll call you if you get drafted. I'm like, wait a, wait a minute. minute. <laughs> wait a minute, I got mom, I got grandma, I got everybody here. Well, I gotta wait and see. And fair enough, like uh, Ron Caron called my name in, uh, in the seventh round. And at that point, uh, I just wanted to hear my name because I knew it didn't matter if I was first round, seventh round, ninth round. I knew I was going to make my place in camp. Nobody, you know, when you get to camp, top first round picks, they look at them a little bit differently. But after that, everybody is the same. And I knew that uh, I'd, go, I'd go to camp and show them what I could do. And, and actually, I had a pretty good camp that first camp. And after that, I, you know, I, some guys got drafted way before me and they never played one game in the NHL. And I knew it was a tough day. I'll be honest with you. It was great to be drafted. But just the weight and, you know, you, 
you worry about you, but you worry about everybody else. You know, you you don't want to disappoint people. And uh, but looking back, you know, it was such a small part of my career. And after that, it's uh, you know, at had a pretty good run. Amazing, love it, Coach. You won the Masterton Trophy in mm-hmm. the 2010-2011 season, and I'm not too sure any of our listeners know as much more as Coach Duke knows about hockey. So can you talk about that trophy a little bit, why you want it, and just kind of explain that whole situation to them? Well, they give that trophy to people that represent their sports that, uh, you know, uh, are passionate about their sports that uh, pretty much like like Coach Jolino described me, that's, you know, people that will do anything for their sports and, and for me, that year was, that's the year, that's the year after I took that puck to the, well, those two pucks to the face, but that last puck I had to retire because um, I had bleeding in my brain. And, and uh, that second puck I took was in, uh, in the playoffs uh, in April, uh, April 20, whatever. And I took the puck to the eye and I had like 75 stitches and uh, bruising in my brain. I missed a full month. Uh, you know, we played the, uh, we played Boston, we played Montreal, we played Chicago, but I missed the Boston series. And I, I came back against Montreal. I, I still had symptoms. You know, I was 37, 36 years old at the time. I knew it was in my last can, and my last kick at the can there. And um, I played with concussion syndromes, which is not the best, smartest thing to do. I don't recommend it to anybody, but that's the way I was. That's the way I played. And football is the same way. Those guys do the same. Hockey players, we do the same. I played, um, I played in the semifinals, played in the finals. We lost in the finals, unfortunately, against Chicago. Went home, and, um, and I, I've had concussions. I played with concussions all my career, and in the summer, I was able to shake them off, if you want. And uh, I trained in that summer, but I still had symptoms. I wasn't quite right. Came to camp the next year and um, played two preseason games, and I couldn't, my head was going to explode. Like I, I grabbed, I, we were in Minnesota. I called my trainer. I'm like, I got to talk to you. Went to see him. I'm like, listen, I'm done. I'm 37 years old. I got two beautiful kids at home. I got a beautiful wife. I just can't put my life on the line. And um, I'm, I'm telling my story here, but that's why I won that award. Masters and Trophy. It's, um, it's somebody that's willing to um, sacrifice for the game itself, not only on the ice, off the ice. And, but the way I saw it, because that following year, 2010, I didn't play one game, and I got, I got the award at the end of that year. But the way I've always been, um, you know, not a nice guy, but always talk to everybody, to, to the reporters, anybody, fans, everybody. and I felt like the fans voted for me to pretty much say thank you to my career, like how nice I was to them and open, like I was always available to everybody. And I really felt like when they awarded me to that award, it was more like a, Thank you for your career. We just want that's our that's a reporter's way to thank me for uh, for my 17 year career. And you know, it's something was um, was special just to go to Vegas for that award. I took my mom and my kids and my family there, and it was um, it was a time for me. It was a place for me to say thank you to the people I, that really means the world to me. And with you know, Philly, I know sometimes gets a bad rap, and we earn it. And there's no answer buts about it. But the moment that where you're going, where you're going, coach, that's the my my best. And I've had great memories of my career. This is my best memory of I, all time. He he, he and if 
tell me if stop me if I'm wrong. Where you, I don't we and we didn't plan this, but he gets after right after he took one of the pucks and he became visible back on the like he wasn't on the ice. He was standing by the glass and fan vision and the TV camera. I'm at home watching it. I you could hear the ovation and the applause and the excitement because he represents everything that Philadelphians get sometimes a bad rap for, but everything was right about that moment. And you did, you saw tears in his eyes and here's, here's, here's Mr. And I didn't really, I had minimal relationship with him at that point, except what you saw on the ice. And I thought, honestly, looking back at it, it was one of the most awesome moments. Yeah. That was during the Boston series there. Like, uh, obviously, I didn't play. Like I said, yep. I was in the room and our PR guy, Zach Hill, was, uh, he's awesome. He was awesome through that time. But he grabbed me. He's like, uh, Lappy, you won the toughest guy in the NHL award. We're going to put you in the Zamboni corner there and they're going to put a camera on you. They just want to announce the award there. And fair enough, I'm there. I'm waiting. And it was between a, com a TV commercial and uh, uh, yeah, and all of a sudden they show me on the jumbotron, like you said, coach. Like uh, it was something that uh, I, that's one thing about the Philly fans. Like they love you or they hate you. There's <laughs> no in between, you know. And that's how I feel about you know. I've I've said that many many times. If if uh, if I had to pick the place where those two uh, incident or accident happened, Philly would have been the place because. People appreciate that. They appreciate the hard work. They appreciate that people will sacrifice themselves for their team. And uh, for me, it was just um, something I'll never forget. It was just great memories. And coach, kind of piggyback and just taking where, right where we are, kind of the conversation that we're in on this. And about coaching, obviously coaches, we put a huge, huge emphasis on starting fast and kind of finishing even faster, if that makes sense. Basketball, mm -hmm. closing out a quarter, Football, we always talk about winning that five, that middle eight, last four minutes of the of, of the half and the first four minutes of, of the second half. And you're talking about, unfortunately, in 10 when you weren't in the Boston series. Well, that was, you know, we're all going to remember, you know, for us in Philly, May 14, 2010. But 3-0 uh, series, the Flyers are down 3-0 in the series in the middle of this Herculean comeback, right? They get to a game seven. And next thing you know, you go down three goals. You're down three 15 minutes into the game. In Boston. In Boston, right? At game mm -hmm. seven. Two best words in sports, right? Game seven, yeah. Yeah. right? Then you look, and then right before the end of the period, JVR, right? Little toe drag off the defenseman stick goes in, right? And then Hartnell, the start to set the second period, just under that three-minute mark, scores and, and gets it back to 3-2. Right, and then obviously, then you have well, Breer ties it up. I think in the second period, yeah. and then Simone Gagne scores with yeah. a little bit that maybe five minutes or so left in, in the third. Right, so we're going. Everyone's obviously, and this sounds going berserk, but you're talking about no better case in point of starting fast, which the Bruins did, mm -hmm. and the way you guys won that middle section. As a coach in practice, is there attention to detail to that part of the game? the preparation that goes into practice is simulating that middle segment or, you know, cause every coach talks about finishing strong and I know it's no different on the ice, but is there anything that kind of goes into, Hey, we got to prep to win those minutes. Well, it's more like, um, um, how can you say that? It's more about the, 
how you control the puck. Like, you know, if you have a lead, what to do with that puck? Don't, don't take as many chances. Don't turn the puck. You never want the, the players to turn, o- uh, turn the puck over. Correct. But it's more like, you know, at the end of a period, let's make sure you don't do, you don't, you don't try to play that's not there. More than, uh, I don't know about football, but in <laughs> hockey, it's more like be a little bit safer. Uh-huh. You don't want to be on your heels. You want to play on your toes. But if it's not a 100% play, don't make it. We're up by a goal or there's five minutes left in the third or in the second. You, you, you hate to give up goals at the end of the period. These are killers. So it doesn't matter if it's in the first, second, or third. You give a goal at the end of the period, it kills the momentum, kills you. You go back to the room. Everybody's down. Everybody's mad. And that's one thing you try to um, – you try to you try to work on that in practice. You don't want to come in the room and say, "All right, boys, don't make any plays at the blue line." But you try to uh, teach that. You try to talk to them in practice, and hopefully, it's going to be ingrained in their head, and they're going to do it during the game. Awesome, Coach. I've got a two-part question for you here. Yep. The first part is going to be a selfish question, just for me personally. How fast was Sergey Fedorov? Well, faster than me about that. Like he was, uh, that's not too hard. 90% of the guys were, but he was, he was only, not only fast. I think, you know, his edges were unbelievable. Just the way he could move on the ice, like sideways and like, you know, forward, obviously, like, you know, those guys are special. You know, you're talking about an all-famer elite player there, but uh, it was more like his edge work was something like, you know, uh, the Detroit era, they had the Datsuk, Zetterberg, all those yeah. guys like Federov. Uh, Listrom, you can go down the list there. They had a hell of a team, but what made them special? Yes, they were fast, but they were really like uh, they had great address sideways. They were they could move one way to the other, and you know without you being able to hit them because they were so smooth out there. And I think Federov, that was his, one of his best be, best quality. He always looked so smooth skating. And as a Blues fan, we hated Detroit. I mean, you hate Detroit, you hate Chicago. I mean, that's just how it goes. And then the second part, uh, the Flyers named you the director of player development in 2012. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what was the biggest challenge for you going from being a player right into being now in charge of their player development? I was traveling alone. That was the biggest thing. You know, I'm at, I like to be around. Uh, that's why I love coaching more than about. I, lo- I love development. Why? Because it kept me in the game and and also got uh, give me a chance to get to know the new genera- the generation. My generation is so different than the kids that I'm coaching now. And those kids are the kids that I I, I was working with when they were in junior and everything. But uh, I love the job. I love working with the kids. I love to do. I, had a, I was running a development camp here once a year for three years at uh, a practice facility. It was great doing that one-on-one work or work with the boys and talk, you know, give them advice about what it is to be a pro and everything. And that was a big part of my job, going for dinner after a game. Just get to know those kids, get to know mom and dad. That was something I really enjoyed. But what drove me crazy, it's like I'd go, I'd go to Seattle for three days by myself, you know, in a hotel room. You got all day to kill. <laughs> and uh, you got the games are at night, you know, you got nothing to do in the afternoon. I'd go work out, but that's, you know, that's two hours after that. That was the, just the dead time. I really uh, killed me, I guess. But when I got the opportunity to, um, to get the coaching job here, I just, uh, you know, I told them I had that, that that was with the ultimate goal to be in the, into coaching. And uh, fair enough, uh, Paul Holmgren gave me the opportunity uh, like three years into my job pretty awesome to me i mean i'm just enjoying sitting here listen this is this is like historic for me (laughs) 
I'm going <laughs> to ask a question that I really want to know the answer to. In baseball, okay. there are certain things a coach tells the ump that automatically gets you tossed. You could say a few things and <laughs> you're getting tossed, right? In football, it seems to be that most fights are started when one player says something about the other player's mom. That's like an automatic. So in <laughs> hockey, what is it that starts the fight every time without question? You just know it's going to happen. Or is some of this like, yo, so-and-so, so-and-so checked this dude into the glass the other night. First chance we get, he's getting knocked out. How does this work? Yeah. Yeah, that was more my generation than today's game. Today's changing a little bit. You might see a fight when there's a huge hit and everything, but when I played, it was more like there's, you know, like the uh, under, you know, like the rules that nobody wants to talk about. Like, absolutely, you know, if uh, those are the ones I want to talk well, about. Well, you know what? <laughs> we go with the blues there. If somebody went after Brad Hall, well, right, fight for sure. If somebody hit him too hard or bump into him when he shouldn't. Somebody like Tony Twist, Kelly Chase would go right after that guy, no matter who they were. Like uh, I know those names. Yeah, I'm you. sure you do. You better know those names. Um, let's say like you're down by two goals and the team is soft. Like you know, like guys are not going. Well, that's 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 part of your job, but it was part of my job too. But I wasn't tough like Twister or Kelly Chase at all. I, you know, I did my I fought my own weight class, but I knew if my team was down <laughs> two nothing. And the guys were like, no respond on the bench. Everybody's down. I'd go pick the, the other guy. I knew, you know, before the game, who's willing to fight. You know, you just look by the stats, you know, by reputation. You go, at, you know, you go after him, you ask him. Most of the time, especially against me, they knew it would be an easy fight. They'd say yes. <laughs> but uh, that's, you know, there's there's a couple of reasons that uh, fighting back, I'm talking 80s, 90s, 2000 when I played was more like uh, for those reasons that guys would be fighting just for, uh, you know, some guys would fight just for the heck of it, just for to prove that they're tougher than the other guy. You do that when you're in your 20, early 20s, but when you get older, you just pick the right spot to, uh, you know, you fight for the, for your teammates. That's why I told my kids when they were little and, you know, they'd be like, Dad, why do you fight so much? Well, you know, I fight for my teammates. You know, I, I used to fight like there's years I fought 25 times a year and my kids were like asking me why. Well, somebody went after a top player or the team wasn't responding. Daddy had to do something. And uh, But again, you don't see that too often in our game today. Coach Delano mentioned that you took a slap shot to the mouth during the second, you know, the first period. You got stitched up in the second period, came back out and played the third period. Mm -hmm. What is it about hockey players that they're willing to do that? Because – Baseball players get hit with a pitch, they're out for like a month, you know, and, and it's like, what, what is the difference there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, you know what, all our life, like I look, and that's part of the problem too. Like I'll circle back to that. All our life, like you get rewarded because you're the toughest kid on the team, not fighting. I'm talking about blocking shots and hitting and, you know, parents in the stands were very low guy they after games they are like, great job. I love what you did and everything. Coaches reward you when you're a little guy when you do that and when you come to um that incident that you talk about against buffalo and i took that slap shot to the face there it's in the back of your mind you know i was fine i knew it was okay i'm like you know if i'm okay i'm gonna go back out there but for me it's part of the problem because we're brainwashed our all our life to play you know with uh, pain with uh, concussions with 
and all of a sudden now everybody's like, what, what, why did you play with, a, with your, you know, when I played in the finals, uh, why did you play with a concussion? You knew you were concussed. Well, all my life I've been, you know, everybody called me a warrior because I did that. And I think it's, it works with the mental part of it. Like, you know, you get brainwashed about that. And I think in today, I'm sure in, in your sports the same way, like younger age, that's where coaches and parents and players, we have to do a better job towards those little guys to, um, to teach them. You know, if you're not okay, it's okay not to play. But for mm-hmm. when I was younger, you know, I played through that. And, and, and to go back to the incident you're talking about, they brought me in with uh, Chris Pronger and a couple of other guys because they were lacking of leadership with the Flyers. They had yeah. great young players, uh, Mike Richard, Jeff Carter, uh, Hartnell, uh, Kimo Timonen. But they needed veteran players that, you know, to teach those younger guys what's the right way to play. And for me, in the back of my mind, they brought me in for that. I knew I was okay. It's my time to show everybody in the room that if you're okay, you have to play. And I had 100 stitches over here, and I lost eight teeth in my mouth. And I had a big, big bubble there. I didn't care. I'm like, I'm okay. My head's fine. I knew my head was fine when I took this one. The other one, I wasn't fine. But the mouth one, I was in pain, but I knew I could battle through it and play. But at the end of the day, for me, it was the biggest message. It was the big message for the, our young guys. I remember uh, James Van Riemsdyk, who's playing with us again right now, was sitting to my left, right next to me. And he's looking at me with those big eyes when I get that big scar after when I'm sitting there tying my skates to go play in the third. But for me, he remembers that. We talk about it now. I'm coaching him, and he remembers that moment. If I can, could help a little bit those young guys while I did my job. That's exactly why we needed to bring Coach in to talk and ask. I, we asked Meg, can you please talk to our guys? And we were kind of having a possible leadership issue. And you know, so we asked him to kind of talk about leadership and courage to our guys. And coach, now I ask you, obviously, <laughs> it all, it's all great teams, right? At some point you look around either to your coaches or if you're playing, you kind of look and you have that it moment. You're like, we got something special here. Hey, we got a chance. Is there a specific time as a player or as, not, as a coach that you guys are looking around or maybe in your coach, you're like, man, we're either in the middle of making something special or, or we have a chance here. And if so, besides, uh, I know you probably just touched on it, leadership, what's that main ingredient that kind of leads to that moment? I, I think it's a feel that you have. Like during games, you're on the bench and you feel like you might be down to nothing, but just the reaction of the bench there, or you feel the players, the way they talk, the way they react to the play on the ice, you know you have something special. And, you know, before the COVID happened, we won nine out of ten games. We're the second hottest team since November. We were the second hottest team since November in the league. And, you know, you, you add that feeling like just – and trust me, I've been coaching here for seven years, and, we you know, Coach, we had ups and downs and more downs than ups. And this year I could see a difference. Just the um, reaction of guys like, you know, G who's been here forever. Uh, that's Claude Giroux for you guys. Jake Voracek, Jake Voracek, same thing, like, you know, you see their body language or demeanor on the bench changing from this year, from, from last year to this year, because the team's playing better. We're winning. They believe what we're teaching. And, and at the end of the day, boys, it doesn't matter what sport you're coaching. Your job's to, doesn't matter what system you want to coach either. Your job's to have that team believe in what you're teaching them. And there's no bad, I don't know about football, but in hockey, there's no bad systems. 
You have to adjust with the team you have. I get that. But at the end of the day, you need those guys to believe in what you're feeding them, you're teaching them, and you, 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 do, have, you do have that feel on the bench when you know those guys believe in what you're telling them. So, Coach, who was one guy that you played against that you're like, I ain't messing with this dude? There's a lot of those. Well, <laughs> Bob Probert, uh, Twist, uh, Tony Twist, Kelly Chase, name it, all that, those heavyweights guys. I, I had to had a couple of fights with them because not by choice, trust me. But, uh, I mean, Pro, Proby jumped me and he was in Chicago back then. And I'll tell you the story. It's a pretty good story. I'm, I were in Chicago and I'm in, uh, I'm in L.A. at the time. And um, taking a face off at the end of the game, and during the game, I've, I've been running around hitting people, and we're up by three goals, and there's like 30 seconds left. And Larry Robinson, which I love, he's one of my favorite yeah. human beings on earth. He, he he works for the Blues now, yeah. And he um, he sent me uh, for the last face off of the game, but in my mind, and everybody on the bench is thinking, "What are you doing?" Like I've been running around everywhere, want to take my head off. We're up by two, three goals. I go on, uh, you know, take, I was in the middle back there in the center. I go take a face off and Chicago, we're in Chicago. They have the last change and they have already four goons on the ice. Basil McRae, uh, <laughs> Jim Cummins and Russell, all those yeah, guys. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, all of them. And the one in the middle, Jeff Chance, he's not a tough guy, but they have the last change. And all of a sudden the door opened on the Chicago's bench and Proby comes on the ice. I'm sure he never took a face off before that, or he never took a face off after that. But he's right, and, and he never took a face off there either because he's right in front of me, and and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him. And I'm like, I'm not fighting. Sorry, excuse my French, but I'm like, I'm not fighting you. He's like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, holy cow. Fair enough. The ref, the, the linesman didn't barely drop the puck there, and Proby just crushed me in the face, and all of a sudden. All, all else broke loose. Like everybody dropped their glove. And fair, good, the good thing, I had a friend, Basil McCree, is a friend of mine still to today. And he became a, a better friend after that. He, gra he, gra he grabbed me right away. He's on the other team. He grabbed me right away and put me down. And he's like, man, please stay there. I'm like, okay, I'll stay there. And everybody's trying to grab me and everything. And I'm laughing now, but trust me, I didn't laugh then. And, uh, to finish that story, like we after the game, we flew to another city. I don't remember where, but I swear to God, guys, I, w I woke up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, waking up, standing in between both. I had a roommate in between both beds with both of my fists in the air like this, and I just woke up like that. The nerves are just having. <laughs> Proby is the toughest guy who ever played our game. He's yeah. ask anybody, everybody's going to tell you he's the toughest, not toughest guy who ever played the game. I was so nervous, so like the stress level was crazy. I got up and I got up. I woke up in the middle of my uh, the night, right in between both beds with my fist up. <laughs> it was something that um, you know I miss a lot about the game, but those moments I don't I don't really miss it. Just <laughs> Is that anyone envisioning slap shot right now? The movie. Yes. Yeah. The Ogle tour. What? Yeah, I said that's it. You know what, coach? <laughs> You know, I say that people are asking, do you miss the game? Yeah, I do miss the game. I miss my teammates. I miss the locker room. But I do have a little bit of that, you know, by coaching, which is great. But one thing I don't miss, it's that. You know, the night before the, night before the game, I knew I did something the game before, and I knew something, somebody is going to be waiting for me that night. And you go to bed, you don't sleep well. The afternoon nap, you don't sleep at all. And you get to the rink, and it's, I, I, do, I don't miss that part of the game at all.
Coach Duke, we should have made you watch Slapshot before you came on with Coach yeah. Perrier tonight. Yeah. Is that movie is if you haven't watched Slapshot, you can't it's be a, a classic. hockey fan. It's a classic. It is awesome. Jr. He still hasn't given me your number because I already sent him stuff of Mr. Softy. I sent him stuff <laughs> of, of, of the Mummers. He won't give it. To, give me your stuff. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> That's oh, a lot offended. This, this is incredible. <laughs> I I'm getting a movie list. I'm getting a history list. I'm learning about sports. I mean, really, really. Let's be yeah. honest. Did you have to take boxing lessons or like some wrestling stuff, or was this just you learned? I go. What? How do you do this? Well, you learn, like in junior, you're allowed to fight. You kind of learn your way into uh, fighting. You have to, especially when I play in the 90s, like a lot more fighting than there is today in junior too. But uh, I knew it was going to be part of my role when I took a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Perfect. There you go. And, uh, you know, you, you just try to to uh, improve your skills if you want. And back then, it was a skill. You know, maybe, you know, guys are not goons, but you, you have to know how to protect yourself and not to get hurt. There's a lot of fight talk. Why do we not want to reference your 2005 season? No? What There's happened? 21 there? goals there. You lit the lamp yeah, 21 times. Yeah, Why don't we want to talk we about that? There, uh, there, there's a Wayne Gretzky trapped know. inside of you. I don't know. I had a brain cramp, coach. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's the thing. Like, okay, I'll tell you what happened. And I know exactly what happened. 2004, we got locked out. They, they locked us out for a full year in 2004. And the crazy me... I'm like, okay, that's my chance to train harder than the next guy. You know, I was telling you about what am I, what are you willing to do? What, you know, what the guy next to you is not willing to do? Well, my mind was like, I'm going to train because I knew a bunch of those guys would take the year off or six months off and, you know, coming back into shape afterwards. And, but I'm like, that's my time. That's my edge. I'm going to train like an animal. And I did. Came to come in great shape. New team. I just signed there as a free agent. Beautiful place, Colorado. It was awesome. And um, everything started going in. But I, looking back, I know why. Because I was in so I was in better shape than most of the guys on our team. It goes back to what are you willing to do? And mm -hmm. that's, that's why I, I try to teach my own kids. You know, my, I get a little lacrosse player. And he, I think he's got that in him. And uh, you know, Neither one of your kids are little. Neither no, one of them right. are you're little. Right. You're right. <laughs> they're getting yeah, they're not little. They're not little. Tristan and Zach are big boys now. They're men. One's going to college and the other one's close to college, which is crazy. Great wow. kids. Great yeah. kids. We'll keep them. It's crazy. Crazy. I got a flag from Towson. That's where he's going to, to school. And I look it up. Yeah. I, you know, I, when I come in the house, I see that. I'm like, I just can't believe he's 18 and he's wow. off to college soon. That. Yeah, um, I'm dealing with something similar with a kid going into his senior year, and I'm like, dude, you were you were just knee high, and we were learning how to play catch. How does this happen? But uh, I I have a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, who taught me the game of lacrosse. Okay, I moved to Chicago to go to med school. I know nobody there. I know one person actually in Chicago. Two weeks into me being in Chicago to go to med school, it's just me and my wife. We're in a city of millions of people. We're from little bitty towns in Missouri. That guy moves. And now we know nobody, right? So we're in this city, and I see a football team across the street practicing. And I run over there and beg to carry water, to do the laundry, to clean up the field. I don't care. I just need to be involved with something. 
because that's all I knew, right? That's, that's, that's it. That's all I knew. And when I found out that you were coming on the show, I had to ask the guy who gave me that job to coach football and to coach lacrosse and to help pay for me to eat while I was in medical school because he's an enormous hockey fan. Kids play hockey all year round. They're traveling everywhere to play, loves it. I had to ask him, what do you want me to ask on this podcast? And he's a coach himself. He's won more state titles in lacrosse than, oh gosh, I think anybody in the state of Illinois. He goes, here's what I want to know, because he's a huge preparation guy. How does he and the staff prepare when they're going into a huge game, when they're going into a game seven, when they're going into the playoffs? What do they do differently or do they do anything different at all? Is it just as loose as they can go or is it let's start making little tweaks and adjustments here? So Mike Foyer, wherever you're at, buddy, I owe you my life. I owe you my, I owe you a bunch of stuff. This question is for you. Uh, We don't really change game by game. Like uh, again, that's a new staff we have this year. We're we're getting through the playoffs and uh, three weeks there. That's something that we start working on right now, but it's pretty much what we did all year. Like, you know, you, Obviously, in the playoffs, you play against the same team for seven games or less. You're, it's it's uh, easier to prepare because you see them all the time. But during the year, there's a lot of preparation going through. You, you look at, you know, all the system they're playing. The, the thing with uh, the way we do things here, we look at, let's say we look at Pittsburgh. Okay, what they do? And we look at how, how can we beat that? If they're... Uh, one, two, two in the neutral zone, which there's there's two systems in the new, new neutral zone. Well, you know, we'll put clips together, what they do, and we'll grab clips, uh, clips how, the, how you can beat that system. But to go to the playoffs, it's going to be the same thing. The only thing in the playoffs was different. We're going to go individual, like guys, like um, we'll have a detail uh, um, pre-scout on every player. Like uh, on uh, every single player, their strength and their weaknesses, what they like, what uh, how they can get beat, and that's from uh, the number seven defenseman to the number one defenseman to everybody, and that's a big list. But guys will have a a, a booklet there; they'll read everything about each and every player that we're going to play against. But during the year, it's more about system. It's about about what they're going to do and what we're going to do to beat them. Coach, you guys are about ready to. Head up to Toronto, I believe, is where you guys are going. The Blues are headed out to uh, to Edmonton. And I was yeah. looking at the schedule because I think – do you guys have like an exhibition against Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, I th- yeah. Okay. And, you know, for even me looking at it, and I followed hockey for a while, can you kind of explain a little bit of this playoff format that they're about to do? Because I saw you guys are playing the Bruins, the Capitals, the Lightning, and how yeah. that works and how people are going to advance. Well, it's going to be – in the playoffs, we'll have 16 teams uh, total, eight teams on each side, like a regular playoff. But right now, because the season was so short and there were teams battling to get into the playoffs, there's eight teams. That, the first four teams, like where you got us, Tampa, Boston, and Washington, we're in, we're in the playoffs no matter what. But you have eight other teams that those teams are going to play against each other, best out of five, to get into the playoffs. Well, because we're four um, – the first four seats in our conference here, we're going to play against each other. We're going to play Washington once, Boston once, Tampa Bay once, and um, 
hopefully we'll win those games. And if we do, we'll climb to number one seed. We have okay. a chance to go up and down. The worst case scenario will be fourth, but we can we'll get possibility to climb to third or second or first even. If we win all, all our games, uh, we'll have a chance to, to go up. But it's, it's, it's different, it's special, but I really do think that um, this year is going to be the toughest, one of the toughest Stanley Cups to win because everybody's healthy. There's a bunch of guys that were supposed to be done for the year. I'm thinking about Getzel uh, uh, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. You got Jones in uh, Columbus. Those guys were supposed yeah. to be done for the year. And now because they had extra time, they'll be back. And I feel like it's going to be a hard one to win. Well, even with the Blues, Tarasenko was out. And now exactly. they just activated wow. him. And yeah. Ruby said he's flying, which I'm like, well, that's good for us. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah, that's uh, it's going to be yeah, it's going to change. And, and also, when you go to an 82 game season, you might not be injured, but you're hurt. You're ba- you're banged up. You're never 100. percent I'm not saying the guys are 100, percent but they're closer to 100 percent now that they would be in regular times. So yeah, that's why I feel like uh, it's going to be it's going to be better than people some people think. Yeah. Well, as fans, we are dying to see live something, right? Yeah. So, but honestly, you, you kind of touched on it with, you know, I know from a from a flyer standpoint, you know, JVR, but he was at a broken foot at the time of injury. So everybody is. Game's going to get bigger, faster, stronger. You're not pacing yourself for 82 now. You're just, mm-hmm. it's a sprint now, you know, and there's nothing better than, than Stanley Cup hockey. You know, it's right like you're glued in the 10:30 games. Like this is the West Coast drop. I love. Oh my gosh, it's it's wonderful. But do you think the overall is the atmosphere with having nobody going to be in the stands? Is it going to be tough to, uh, being isolated? You know, and is there overall any type of general concern about hey, what is going on in the rest of the world right now? With it, so it's kind of a We're cool. weird question. Yeah, there, there's a lot of questions like that, but um, you know what? For the fans, fans part, uh, I look at I, I love UFC, I love MMA, I watch it, and for me, it's the same show. Like I look, I, I watch every card that there, there is out there. I watched last weekend, and I'll watch the next one, which is tonight. And um, the, the fight's the same. Athletes are athletes, and the cup's on the line. I don't. I, it might be an adjustment, and I don't think it's going to be because there's no fans. I think it's because, like, you, you go from training camp to playoffs, it's going to be an adjustment for the players. But I'm, I'm not really um, worried about the the, 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 the the show that the guys are putting on the ice. I'm, I'm actually looking forward. I was more worried about camp, and we've been that's, that was our third day of camp today. But I look at the guys today, and the first three days, they look great. They look in great shape. They took care of themselves, and, and I'm sure it's going to carry into the, when the playoffs starts. And for the COVID thing, like, everybody's worried about that, you know, but we'll be in a, you know, we get tested quite a bit, like uh, three times a week. And when we get to Toronto, we'll get tested every day. And uh, we'll be in a bubble. Like, we won't be able to go out. We're going to, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to be quarantined for, I think it's five days. And after four negative tests, we'll be able to come out of our room and whatever. There's a big protocol. They're still finishing the, the final touch, if you want. I, I feel like our biggest worry is right now. Like right now, we're, we're in a bubble at the rink, but everybody's at home. I think it's, uh, it's going to be to fight. The, you know, we're leaving not this Sunday, the next Sunday, like a week and a half, 10 days. It's more like guys are going to have to be responsible. If it goes from coaches to players, 
just stay home and you know do, you know don't see as many people as you you'd like and hopefully we'll get to Toronto with no cases I hope so coach I hope so because this isn't going to end anytime soon and it sounds like I, I well you're a duck you tell yeah. us about it yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it's not gonna send you pictures of what he does. Yeah, right. right. Oh, I'm not that kind of duck. I'm sorry. No, I am. No, I am. I'm a I'm a foot, I'm a foot and ankle surgeon, so I'll be happy to Okay, okay. Whatever you like. But yeah. you're taking the right precautions. No, they're good. They're good. You're taking the right precautions. Yeah. Your feet are good. Awesome. You're taking the right precautions. You're doing everything that you need to do, which is the way it should be. And I think that if there's any school districts listening, which I don't know if they are or not. I think everybody's waiting for somebody else to make a decision, right? How about you just take some steps, use common sense, be smart, have calm, focused, intentional movements, and we'll, and we'll get through this. Uh, and that's my 20 seconds on, on COVID. But, but that's, that's the problem. You just said it. Be smart. <laughs> take right. the, the precaution. Right. You look around. Whatever. I don't want to go there either. But they... Real, the reopening stuff and everybody think it, you know, it is like it was before, you right. know, and it's people don't, we got to take baby steps. But again, that's for another blog, another show. We don't right. need to talk about that. Well, I'll, I'll, but, I'll finish you know, that. Wear with, a mask about yeah, that. No. I'll finish that yeah. with, it's, it's exactly what you said. Be willing to do what the guy next to you won't do. And that's how, and that's how we get through it, right? That's how we get yeah. through it. So I'm going to bring it back to hockey. I'm going to ask you another question. Here's what I want to know, because I think about this all the time as it pertains to baseball and football, because those are those are my two sports. If there's a rule in hockey that you could change, what would it be? I'll tell, oh, I'll tell you mine first, okay, because I've never got to okay, tell anybody. Shoot. For baseball, I would like to make it, if you leave 10 dudes on base, you lose a run. Okay, so if you strand 10, yeah, be quiet, JR. You're the baseball guy. You don't want it. Yeah, and and you're a hitting coach, JR. So listen, if you can't advance those dudes, we're taking something away from you and make the game more interesting. Now, nobody's saying it's a perfect rule, but I just think about those things, okay? So you got the floor. What rule would you change and why? Uh I don't know, like I, like the old school player in me, like the, the instigator rule, like it drives me a little bit crazy because it gives liberty to low guys that would never play as tough as they play. And um, but that will never change. The game's going in a totally different direction. And I'm okay with that. I'm not a dinosaur. I respect that. But uh, I like the way our game is right now. If you look at all the rule change that they made, they took the red uh, red line away yeah. years ago. But that that made a change in our game and. Uh, I, I think our game is great right now, as it is. You know, if um, if we can get back on the ice and show people, and to go to go back with the coach Elena was saying, like, I feel like, and I, I I'm the same way. I, people want to see sports. They want to see something to disconnect from our reality that nobody likes right now. And I hope that we can pull this and uh, play in uh, in three weeks and have some gifts, two hours of entertainment for people at home. Coach, I really hope Philly can make it all the way to the end this year because I'm going to be pulling for Philly in the east, for St. Louis in the west. And it'd be pretty cool if there was a matchup there because a year ago I saw something I never thought I would see, which yeah, is everybody the, the Cup. Yeah. And, it was, and being the last team in, uh, what, November? And, yes. 
Yeah. Just I, you know what? I was, I'm not, you know what? As an old player, when you're not in the playoffs or you lose in the playoffs, you never wish. You hope that the cup get lost and nobody wins the cup. Yeah. Last year was the first first time in my career or life that that was pulling. I, Craig Beery is a Craig Beery is a friend of mine. I coach with him in uh, in Philly here. He's awesome, and I'm so happy for him. And that's why, like last year, and when he was in the finals, I was really pulling for him. He's a uh, He's a great guy, great coach, and uh, he proved everybody that uh, he can win the he can win the big trophy, and he did. There was an older gentleman down at the parade in St. Louis. I went there who had a sign that said, "Now I can die in peace." And I'll never forget because uh, Vince Dunn went over and held the thing up, and everybody went crazy. It was Maybe. it was a lot of fun. So, my last question for you: If Philly wins the cup this year. Can Bill, Frank, and I get a good seat at the parade so we can see you go by with it? If there is a parade, this I'll bring it. This is going to be our luck. Yeah, it's, it's going yeah, it's it's to be on Zoom if, it's, uh, <laughs> if there's a parade. I mean, about, you know what? That's that's the bad thing. Like, we win the cup, there, there won't be any parade. But, uh, you know, it's uh, something we'll worry about down the road yeah well, i'm coming to your house because i know where you live <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll be in my party. house i'm not we won't have a parade we'll celebrate in the back we will <laughs> yes we will for sure add, add two more to that list there <laughs> we go come on down in. It, it, this has been awesome from my perspective because you and i have talked a million times a million times and just really to be able to and there's i know it's our final question here but it's more of a comment here where Again, we made mention of this off air, and, and we talked about uh, Coach Vigneault today getting named a finals for the Jack Adams. So a huge congratulations to you and the staff because, you know, listen, I, we're all coaches to some degree, not at your level. We, you and I always talk about that as well. But we know the value of being having great assistance, and we're only as good as our assistants. So, you know, I'm sure everyone in the kind of from your film guys to your trainers staff all kind of gave a little fist pump today. It was like, that's awesome. Yeah. And a a v is, uh, he's great for that. Like he makes us feel appreciated and he's uh, appreciated and he's, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm learning so much from him, from his preparation and he trusts his staff. Like, you know, he's asking everybody to do a job, but he, he's not on top of you. He's not looking at everybody, everything you do. He, he trusts his staff big time. And I think it's a big part of uh, being a successful coach. That's tremendous. This this has been incredible. And I promise Coach Delano, and I am a man of my word, that if you came on this show, JR and I, as the owners of Breakdown Sports, are going to donate money to a charity of your all's choice. And we are going to do it. So yes. I would like to know what charity would you like us to send a check to? And we will write a letter along with it if you want it in anyone's name, but that money will be donated in that person's name to that charity. Tell us the charity and tell us why. Well, we have the Flyers Wife Carnival here. It's been going on since the 60s, since this team got in town and they raised like millions of dollars every year like i think it's two million dollars and it's one event like during one i did at the wells fargo's our, our, our arena there there's like a bunch of fans they come they pay to get autograph from the players coaches or minor league and there's like uh, all kind of games in the stadium and uh, 
they've been raising a lot of money and they, they share that money with uh, children, children hospital, Ronald McDonald house, oh, all those mm, nice uh, place, hospital, well, nice hospital, but great hospitals, great facility for families and everything. And, and uh, yeah, that would be the, my, uh, the foundation. I would direct you guys to send that check for sure. Happy to do it. Won't delay. We'll get, Thank it, you. We'll get it sent out as soon as we can. Uh, I don't know if any of your players will watch this, if they'll listen to it, coach, <laughs> but it's 1030 here in mid Missouri. It's 1130 here on the East coast. Is there anything that you would like to say to your players or to your fan? Go to bed. Go to the, ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Or to your fans. No, to, our, to our fans, you know what? We're, uh, I love our team. I love the way that this team is going and, Coming like, uh, what is it, August 11th? You never know. You know what? We're in the playoffs and everybody's got the same chance. And again, I like the vibe of our team and hopefully we'll come back with a big trophy. Amazing. Coach, it's been outstanding. I have learned a lot. Um, I have some things written down that I'm going to take to my own team that I coach. And I can't thank you enough. You, uh, oh, thanks for having me. Thanks. JR is like the one of my best friends Thank in the you. world, and to see him smile means the world. Uh -huh. <laughs> Coach Delano is quickly coming up that list as well. Um, I think you're gonna have to be a co host more often, Coach. I don't know. I, I didn't really like the fact that your questions were better than mine, but <laughs> we will. I like hockey, bud. <laughs> I, uh, I know we're, we're gonna work on that. I don't even know how you top this, Jr. I don't even know. I don't even know where it goes. We're we're two dudes in the middle of Missouri, a uh, small population, and we're talking to like one of the most famous dudes in the NHL who's coaching. Yeah. Man, God be with you. I hope you. I hope you win a Stanley Cup and you do Thank it you. in epic fashion. Uh, and I hope I get to come and celebrate. I mean, seriously, I hope I get I'd, to come. I'd be, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Be, I'll be more than happy to have you to uh, fly down here or drive down here or get down here. Oh, the Tesla will take me yeah. straight there. It'll be okay. The, there we go. I like that. There we go. I like that. The Tesla will take me straight there. Uh, like that's right. Chill mode. <laughs> I'm Coach Duke. He's J.R. Simmons. That's Coach Delano. He'll be coming back. And for everybody for Breakdown Sports, I cannot thank you enough, Coach. It's been absolutely amazing. JR, we might just have to stop here. No more podcasts. You can't go anywhere up from here. It's been absolutely incredible. We're out. Until next time, thank you very much.